and customers. And the customers actually enforced the staff how interesting it was to have an owner that was doing that kind of stuff when they didn't have to. And that raised the estimation of the owner in the employee's eyes. I'm sure you saw some of the same things. Yeah, and again, I don't know all franchise cultures. Jimmy John certainly had that uh, servant leadership culture where it was like, look, if, if somebody doesn't clean the toilet right, you as the owner don't go yell at them for not cleaning the toilet right. You bring them to the bathroom, you get down on your hands and knees, you show them where the dirt is, and you scrub it off yourself and say, you know, this is how a, you know, a toilet should look. It should sparkle. You know, hey, can you do this, you know, uh, moving forward? But yeah. And did you find on, along the same lines as what Jerry was talking about, as a 22-year-old, I would imagine you had employees who were older than you and probably more experienced in, in food service than you. So is that the way that you gained credibility with them by doing exactly what you were asking them to do? I mean, even then, at 22, how did you overcome that little barrier? Yeah, I don't have any idea. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I remember growing a beard because I looked like a child at the time. Like, you know, I got to at least try and look older. You know, it, I actually have less issues with uh, uh, staff. You know, the, the team was, you know, always behind me and, and rooting for me. Uh, it was more along the lines of like when the HVAC contractor comes in to write you a quote, like he sizes you up pretty quick. And, uh, you know, uh, that, that's more where I ran into it on the young side. Well, you know, and you, I think it's interesting at your age, Matt, that you left something that was fairly comfortable with Jimmy John's and you had kind of, you know, learn your way through it. And I know from my experience, you start doing it by rote after a while, right? And then yeah. you went off, took a little bit of a flyer and kind of started your own thing. Talk about that transition between comfort and then going your own way. Well, first off, I would, I would never say running restaurants is comfortable. You know, it's, it's, it's managing chaos. And, and you know, uh, uh, and part of the reason I started ClearCox because it is managing chaos and there's, you know, a, a lot of resources that franchisees need. But, you know, the transition for me was really more about, you know, my passion and the way I'm wired. So as we spoke about before, when you go into a franchise, they give you a playbook, a tried true playbook that sets you up for success. I, I found over the years, I, you know, instead of spending the 90% of, you know, following the playbook, what I what brought me great joy was the 10% that wasn't in the playbook. How do you handle this weird situation? What do you do here? What, how could you you know, uh, push the, you know, uh, uh, lead to the system in a better way. And, and ultimately, I just found that I'd rather spend my life focusing on that 10% creative problem solving, pushing the bounds of new possibilities than, you know, um, following the playbook. And uh, uh, my wife thinks I'm crazy, but, you know, uh, it's, uh, we're all wired a certain way. Well, and so you, you, you kept in the same industry. You're working with to eliminate food waste in the food franchise space. So what did you bring with you from Jimmy John's? I'm sure it was a lot. And how did you identify this problem? What, what, what was the light bulb in your head that said, this is something that we can do better and I know how to do it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, great, great question. So a couple things on that front. Um, coming from a franchise background, from an operator's background, you have a different perspective of the world. So we see uh, a couple different types of organizations go into solve food waste. You've got people that come from sustainability, climate focus, and you tend to have very comprehensive solutions that just don't work into the operations of a restaurant. Um, you've got people that come from it from a tech side that 
want to create this, you know, algorithm that's going to do everything. And, you know, that, that doesn't work for restaurants. And then you've got, you know, restaurants themselves that look at it as like, you measure it, you manage it, you portion it, and and that's how we manage food costs. Um, So I I feel like I managed to just be a generalist in enough of these that, you know, we're able to connect the dots in a different way. So for instance, when uh, we first launched our product uh, into a, a group of restaurants, we took it from an operator's perspective and said, okay, how can we make this as seamless as possible for franchisees? So first off, it has to be easier for them to use than their current system, okay? Secondly, they can't change any of their systems and procedures. And thirdly, they don't need to do any type of tracking on there. So with those constraints in mind, we went in and built out our system. And I think that that's really differentiated um, our product offering because look, it's you know made by operators for operators. It's it's just a it's a different thing. Yeah, Matt, uh, I owned a couple of restaurants that were non-franchised, and that is just a crapshoot when you're trying to manage food in those situations. You have no tools, and then I've got a uh, I'm involved in a couple of restaurant chains right now. Uh, that are pretty well known and they are there's a lot of systems but still the number one complaint of the operators is uh, food problems yeah uh, it's it's unfortunate we hear a lot Um, and frankly it's it's an industry-wide thing and it's it's not their fault it's just that's what it is right now the restaurant industry is a little bit behind when it comes to tech Um, you know that the just the general idea of sales and we're going to predict sales and then guess what it is that we need to prepare each day is an incredibly inaccurate way to to go about it i mean there's just a lot of room for improvement i think we've probably pushed it you know even further than anybody ever needed to push it in terms of accuracy and all of that um just because the bar is often really low when it comes to you know restaurants managing specifically what they prep so what kind of R&D did you have to do to get this thing off the ground? Because I'm sure there was a lot of testing, a lot of uh, <laughs> things that didn't work, things that did work. How did you identify what was the best method and what, how, how does ClearCogs work exactly? Yeah, it was an iterative process. Let's just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> no, we, we were fortunate enough uh, last year to work with a great group of uh, like 18 grad students from Duke doing their master's of quantitative management oh. that, that helped us uh, with some of the analysis in this. And then, you know, we took what we learned working from them and really honed down on this um, food waste problem. And specifically, we identified this over prep problem uh, as a, a driving cause of food waste. And so really what ClearCogs does is we tap restaurant data and we provide them daily prep forecasts that take all the guesswork out. So, Forget all the Excel spreadsheets you have in the back and your, you know, your UPKs and, you know, uh, those averages. We go have all the fancy machine learning data scientists go through and figure out these problems so that we can give a standardized um, prep sheet each day. And I'd actually say the, the real magic of it is we're able to put it into terms for their own operations. So like, what are the numbers you fill out on your punch list? Those are the ones we're going to give you. Well, Matt, so many businesses and restaurants are definitely one of them. Certain days of the week have highs and lows. Certain times of the day 
certain times of the year, those kinds of things. So do you factor some of that into what you built? Not some of it, all of it. It's all factored in. I mean, we're looking at all kinds of things uh, uh, to do our analysis. Uh, but, you know, even in the simplest terms, you're probably going to sell a whole lot less tuna fish salad on Friday nights than you do on Monday afternoon. So if you're using a standard number, you're running into conversion issues. If you're, you know, using comps and you've got COVID thrown in there, now maybe I'm using a two-year comp. That's, that's really not that accurate. Um, you know, you've got hours changing now. You've got, you know, hey, we're not delivering at this moment. There's so much uncertainty that's going on right now. Um, it's, it's just a, a, it's a great time to be looking into technology like this. So, Matt, do you have, so when you go to a new client, when you're doing a pitch, do you analyze their historical data for their specific locations and their specific area of the country? Is it an industry-based thing? Is it a brand-based thing? How specific do you drill down? We drill down really specific. So, just like you guys know, just because you're a franchisee of a given concept, maybe you're in the same, maybe you're owned by the same owner in the same town run by two different general managers, you're gonna to see totally different things happen. When a store is well run, sales are going up. When they're not well run, sales are going down. So we tend to look at it as a, um, a very um, like location specific, what is going on with this? And we do look at you know, other items, you know, the, the industry, the concept, but you know, really it's tailored down to the individual unit. Oh, we lost Jerry, I think. That that's that's pretty amazing. So, how many clients do you have right now, as a so, startup? Yeah, we're 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 a brand new startup. I think our website's been up for like ten weeks. We've been working on the tech for the last year, so okay. it, it, we're fresh out of the gate. But I can say that you know we've got signed NDAs with three really large restaurant concepts with you know thousands of units. So uh, it's uh, it's one of those things where. We all know how difficult it is for restaurants, and we know how difficult it is for to get restaurants' attention. Uh, the fact that we didn't even really seek it out, but just put the message out there that here are the possibilities and here are the tools that you can have to have people coming to us to say, look, we need these tools. I mean, I, I think it's just a, uh, it really speaks to the, the need out there uh, to support franchisees, especially since, you know, franchisees manage the bottom line. And they sure get a whole lot of tools from franchisors, you know, to help boost the top line. But that bottom line management has been neglected for a little while. And, uh, you know, yeah. we're, we're hoping to uh, help address that. So, Matt, I, I think this is a, a great idea and a great tool. And I know you're, I don't know if you have this kind of data, but what kind of money are you talking about saving these locations? Because food waste has got to be one of the biggest losses that, that restaurants have. It's, it's a lot of money, it's, yeah. it's um, and, but you know, uh, we take a small portion of it. The, the lion's share stays with the franchisee. We are a value add, we are a bottom line booster. We are right. not just a, uh, you know, another line item on your P&L. Right, I, and I, I think that's important to note, but also what kind of percentages are we talking about in terms of how much you think you can save yeah, it totally depends on the concept, right? So, you know, some concepts are prone to a lot more waste. I mean, think like bagels, you know, you're just throwing out a ton, donuts, uh, even rotisserie chickens, all of that. It, it just depends on the concept. But generally, 
statistically, we can right. usually reduce their waste by about 80% of, of the overprep waste. So most okay. people don't even know, they like, no, hey, I'm off by a percent and a half of my cogs. I don't know how much of it is from overprep. We right. figure that out and we can usually statistically do about 80%. In practicality, it ends up closer to 50% because look, you know, welcome to operations. Yeah, but that's still a significant savings. It is. It is. Not only in terms of money, but in terms of environment <laughs> and just waste in general, right? There's a reason that Amazon can get you a same-day delivery, right? It, it didn't happen by happenstance. There's a reason why the post office is the post office. I mean, you know, we look at this as, you know, post office to Amazon. I, it, it really is the same technology. It's going from the horse and buggy to the automobile. Uh, yeah. And I, it's a really exciting time in the restaurant industry because, with the pandemic, we're seeing a lot more embrace of this kind of technology. I bet you are. Matt, Go ahead. Matt, Matt have you, um, I, don't, I don't know if you want to share any of your clients or any of that kind of stuff, but are there some pretty large national chains that at the corporate level are bringing you in, or are you dealing more with local uh, franchisees? Corporate level. And it, it's driven by both a need to reduce food costs and, frankly, one of the things that is a hot-button issue right now is food waste. I mean, I think they waste 40% of food that's produced in this country. 10% of all food that comes into the door of a restaurant doesn't actually, I think it's 7%, doesn't actually make it to the customer. And these are huge numbers. And, you know, frankly, the, the generations are changing, you know, and, and to stay relevant in today's society, you can't just be throwing away food. I mean, look at California just put in, post, or in place a composting law that says you can't throw away food anymore. I mean, any like CEO of any major restaurant group that's not freaked out about the, the giant compost thing outside and somebody taking a, the next viral video, I mean, like that should be top of mind. And the people we talk with are like, look, I know my uh, CEO is going to get interviewed in the next six months and they're going to want to know about sustainability and food waste. And, you know, uh, uh, whether it's just greenwashing or whether it's sincerity, the fact that they want to say we're working with a, a young startup that's using AI and machine learning to help us reduce food waste. You know, at the end of the day for us, it decreases food waste. So uh, uh, we're happy to see them embrace that. Absolutely. Well, Matt, tell everybody who might be listening um, how the best, how, what the best way to get in touch with you is. If they want more information on what you're doing, how, how is the best way to get in touch with you? You go schedule a meeting right on our website. It's right there. We're happy to talk with you. We love talking about food waste. And I got to tell you, it's a pretty uh, seamless process getting on. Uh, we, we're basically uh, tap your data. We, we actually, we don't even, we know how much limited time restaurants have. So we do something called signal analysis where we go take their data. We run it through one of our proprietary algorithms. It kind of spits out like, hey, this is a good customer or this isn't going to work. Now, we haven't really run into anybody that hasn't worked yet, so I, 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 it's been working great. But, like, if it's not going to work for you, we're not going to spend our time and energy uh, uh, working on it. And uh, they don't want to waste their time and get distracted with us. Yeah. Well, great information for us today, Matt. We appreciate it so much. Um, check out his website, which is clearcog.com, right? Yeah. All right. And, and first off, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. This was uh, fantastic. Absolutely. And keep us posted. We're always happy to have you back if you've got new and exciting things to report. I'd love to, and I'm sure we will. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much. Thanks. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? 
Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts, comments, and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a Y dot com. Hello. Hey, Karen. How are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Jerry? Well, I'm doing good, but I sense a little hesitancy in your voice. You're already concerned <laughs> that I'm going to freeze and you're going to be doing a solo act, aren't you? Oh, I absolutely am, especially since this segment is about it's interviewing you about your book. Well, I, think well, I know. Chapter 12. <laughs> chapter 12, to expand or not to expand, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I, I love all of your insights. So I'd hate to have this segment not be about your insights. And um, I, I loved it. I love the way you started it with, what do you call it, the shining camel on the hill? Because I think so many times when people think about expand or not expand, there's, there's an emotional, right? There, you know, people want to look at the emotional aspect of it of, hey, I want to do this. And they really don't think about the analytical piece. So I love well, that, that you really take a look at really take a look at this completely. You know, if you're really looking to add a location or even get your first location for that matter, if you don't look at the real estate and the demographics and things and really fine tune that analysis, you're you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because you're just taking a crapshoot as to whether you know you're going to be successful or not. So you know that story about the camel on the hill, the neon camel on the hill, that was about us knowing we needed to be on a certain road in the, in the town that we were in. And uh, um, we knew the demographics, we knew the traffic counts, but there were no strip centers. There were no anchors, there was nothing. And yet it's the third busiest uh, uh, road in our, in our municipality. So we had to be there. So, uh, you know, we finally got to the point where we were just looking at opportunities and uh, I, I got up, I drove up the hill and here's this, big neon camel and as i parked across from it because that's what i do i'm a parking lot creeper i parked them in the uh, uh auto zone across the road and just watched traffic and there were like thirty thousand cars a day going by this intersection and this was a well back in the 70s it was a gas station it was a um probably one of the first 7-elevens in the state of iowa and uh it had become a tattoo parlor karen it had become a tattoo parlor, <laughs> uh, including self-standing koi ponds in the middle of the tattoo parlor inside. And yet they were going out of business and it was in a great intersection. It was going to be something that Great Clips never does, which is a standalone Great Clips because there were no uh, other neighbors. And we just saw it as an opportunity. So this huge neon camel sign had to go because, and by the way, the building was painted the colors of the Arizona desert, you know, like orange and yellow and brown and things like that. And of course, we had to make that a little more uh, Great Clips friendly. But that's what you do when you're thinking of expanding. Right. Absolutely. 
So what are, what are some things if you think about, and I just, I loved all of the, again, the details in your book, and you really talked about some of the, some of the drawbacks and some of the, some of the opportunities, some of the benefits. Sure. You know, uh, and I, and I look at it this way and I, I'm not trying to um, belittle anybody by saying this, but this is just me. Entrepreneurs want to continue growing. They really do. Yeah. They don't want to be in one place. Business owners want to own one or two locations and just maintain. And both of those models are perfect. So it doesn't make any difference. So, you know, what I say in the book is it depends on, you know, when somebody asks me, when's the right time to expand? Well, it depends. It depends on you. It depends on your model. It depends on the opportunity. So things I like to look at from a, a personal standpoint, right? I want to, there is neither a right or wrong here, by the way, but some of the things are related to what you as an individual are comfortable with. So, and, and I look at my wife because she's a polar opposite of me. My wife, would be happy with one or two locations where she can know all the employees, know all the employees' kids, uh, know every single dollar that goes through there every day and why, and just kind of own her own little piece of the world. And so when we started expanding, she went through serious uh, stresses, still does today sometimes, and I've got to talk her down off of the ledge because I'm the other guy. I'm the guy that says, once you get to a certain point, and with every model, it's going to be a little different. With Great Clips, it's about five locations. Uh, with David's old brand, it might be two or three locations or whatever. But you get to a point where there's some infrastructure built. You've got back office support. You've got all those things going on. And literally after that, adding more locations is kind of like the old mimeograph machine. Every time you roll your arm around, you spit another one out, and it just kind of folds in. So there are people out there that are franchisees that are wired to really continue to grow. There's others that are going to be happy with those one or two locations. Nothing wrong with either of them, but I suggest everybody analyzes their own personal uh, comfort zone before they make that decision. Because if you grow too far too fast and you're personally not wired to do it, you're going to go through a lot of stress and a lot of pain. And by the way, there's some tools in the book in this chapter that yeah. really help people make that decision. I love it, and I love it where you have, like, your, your self-test, where you talk about what are your income goals. You know, you talk about, like, lifestyle. Um, and I love the one about delegate, which David and I will talk about a little bit later on. But I think all those are really important. So it's, it's more about you, you know, you the, you the franchisee, where you are, right, and, and really what, what, what your appetite is and, yeah. and your mindset. Yes. That's exactly right, because, you know, I come at it from a corporate standpoint. I can run as many of whatever models that I have as possible, because I've got people that do the midline management stuff, and I read reports and do coaching and mentoring for the people I'm directly responsible for, and then they pass that on down to their people. But, you know, back to the point that you made from the book about income, you know, some people want to have, they want to work in the business to some extent. So that's the people that want one or two locations and their, their bucket is filled by being in that position and the income levels for those one or two locations, keep them comfortable. So they're happy. Um, I'm not really driven by income. I'm driven by growth and opportunity and continuing to, you know, foster that for not only myself and my family, but all of our employees. And you can only do that by continuing to grow and open up more opportunities. So truly, it depends, and it's, it's entirely dependent on you as an individual 
And, uh, and again, Karen, I suggest people go to the book and look at some of those tools, some of the self-analysis, as you said, and that will help them, you know, kind of work their way through it and make a decision. You know, one of the things that, uh, one of the tips that you gave in the book that I love, and that is get a coach. And you know, because we, we talk a lot about someone making, you know, you know um, trying to make that decision. And there are some people that are, that are too aggressive at the beginning. Like they want to go fast, fast, let's, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, and coach, the great thing about a, a coach a franchise coaches, they can help you determine when, how, where, what, and they can, they can have you see things or help you see things that you possibly can't see. Well, you bring up a great point. You bring it up straight from that chapter because we were in that situation. If you remember that story, right? We, I do. I do. we were expanding quicker than we needed to, or what then some people were comfortable with us expanding. And we literally uh, had our name on a great location that we got turned down for by corporate because we weren't quite ready to go there. Our franchise coach said, I'm not sure you're ready. We went and talked to our corporate representative. They weren't comfortable with us going. So our, our, our uh, franchise coach actually saved us a lot of pain and heartache and money by convincing us up front that it was not the right time to do that. And then we actually lost that location to a competitor. And I had to go and move one across the street a few years later when I was ready and, you know, put the hurt on them. But bottom line was our franchisee coach saved us. So uh, as we talk about on this uh, show all the time, find a great mentor, find a great coach, make sure they're involved in your decisions to some point, and you will live a much better franchise life in the long run. And listen to the coach, because I have so many stories about when people don't listen to the coach, right? And then it's like, oh. Um, you, know, you know, Karen, I always listen to my coach. I do walk away from them dragging my heels with my head down once in a while. You're like, I just left the principal's office. But the bottom line is that coach sees things completely different than you do. There's no emotion yeah. involved. It's all just facts and figures, and they will help take you to the promised land. So before Fred says anything, we're going to just tap in before we get out of here, guys. It, there is an increasing opportunity for you to be in franchising right now. Literally, I don't believe there's ever been a better time. So don't miss the opportunity. Uh, we've got some tools here on our website. We've got tools uh, with the mentors, the million-dollar mentors. Go out and buy my book, Live It to Own It, and that will give you some insight. And if you're thinking about the franchise journey, we're here to help you. Thanks a lot, folks. Sounds good, Jerry. Thank you so much, and I look forward to, look forward to next week with another chapter. Thank you, Karen. I did it again. Thank you to Jerry. I called him out on uh, being muted earlier, and then Murphy's Laws, I do it to myself. Um, we'd like to thank our sponsors of the show, Franchise Show 247. Visit their website. They're a great um, virtual platform to get the word out about your franchise business. Also, the Titus Center for Franchising, who hosted Jerry and me last week. Um, doing great things for franchise education. Be sure to check their website out there at Palm Beach Atlantic University, and you can just Google Titus Center for Franchising. Um, up next, we've got some more mentors coming up. If you have not subscribed to the magazine, please do so. And again, you can call into the show. That would be something that we would recommend um, because we love talking to our audience. And I'm looking for the number. 323 is the number, 580-5755. Give us a call. Hi, David. Hi, Karen. How are you? Hi. We're going to continue our discussion about about expanding, to expand or not expand, and that expansion mindset. 
Yeah, I mean, Jerry covered so much in that, that short period of time. I mean, people need to go back to the book and really go through that chapter so they can digest what, what he gave and really was the Cliff Notes version. But he touched on two things that I think are really important, and that is either um, being stale or growing, right? There's an old saying, you're either growing or you're dying. And then the other thing that he slipped in there quickly and was probably the most important thing what we're going to talk about is he talked about as he's growing and layering the system he put in place, which is basically he's managing certain, you know, certain people and he's layered it through. So he's not running yeah. the whole business. So he's created a system and he's created a structure to allow him to do that. And we could talk about that because without that, you're not going to be able to run multiple units very effectively. So totally he said it quickly, but it was, it was a huge point that whole time. <laughs> it really is. Cause it, it, it is. And it's a, it's a mindset. And one of the things he mentions in the book, it's about, you know, what he said something like, you know, are you really re ready to give up the rank? And I think that so many times, because when you're, when you're running one franchise, there's a mindset with that one franchise. And, and you're right, David, where you have to layer in people and, and it's a different mindset of, okay, how can I then, how can I look at this more strategically? You know, how can I run this with a different kind of a mindset for the growth? Yeah, I mean, the mindset's one thing, but, and Jerry touched on the other thing too, is, is you go from running the business, being in yeah. the business, and he used the, the, the analogy of his wife or the, the experience of his wife, where she kind of grabbed onto everything, right? Wanted to know everything. And, and that's where her comfort zone was. And that's what happens when you're in your business running your single unit. Yeah. And then as, it, as you start to expand, you start realizing the people you left behind to manage it, I'm probably going to run it with the same passion or, or attention to detail that you're running yours. So that's a hurdle to have to get over because it'll drive you crazy, if, especially if you, have, if you have a perfectionist gene like I do to say, hey, this is what I want done. How's it not getting done? And that, that, that's, a, that's a big adjustment to make. And it took my business partner to go, you know, sometimes if the business is running 90% as well as how you are running it, but you're not there, then that's going to have to be good enough. And that was, that was a hard hurdle for me to get over as we expanded. And again, going back to Jerry's point, as you layer in those people who are capable in opposition, right. then you're managing those people, not necessarily the business itself, the actual. Totally agree. And I think it's, it's making sure you get the right people in place. And one of the things I also, you know, because you're talking about hard, it's hard letting go and, you know, with all the details. And one of the things I always have people do or franchisees do as they're expanding is really sit down and think about, okay, think about what I'm doing now, right? Think about how things now, what I'm doing. What are some things I know I'm going to have to give up? Actually having them think through that more logically ahead of time, which really helps. And, you know, what, what can I give up? How am I going to give that up? What am I going to do? And what are some new things I need to think about? New things I need to think about as I expanded and what can I do to look at things more strategically? And I think if you can do that ahead of time and be proactive and intentional, it kind of sets you up and it sets your leaders, your managers up that are running the unit much better too for success. Yeah, I 100% agree. And to follow up with that, it really comes down to when you get to that point, when, you, when you've convinced yourself you want to expand or have expanded, you have multiple units. The one question you have to ask yourself, and I think this is the first step to delegating and, and really feeling comfortable with what everybody else is going to be doing, is asking yourself, what is it that only I can do 
and that that's what I should be doing. Yeah. And and I think and sometimes because we came up through the single unit business and since we wore all the hats and we did all the duties, we're capable of doing everything, but we shouldn't be. And there's some things on our plate that only we can do and only we should be doing. And there's a lot of things in a business because we came up through that we could do, right. but we shouldn't be doing because we could pay somebody else or hire somebody else to do that right. job. And, and, that, and, that's and, and if you focus, go ahead, go sorry. Ahead, no, go ahead. I was going to no, say that's your, that's your start. I think what, what do you start doing? Stop doing, keep doing, right? That's kind of what. Exactly. What yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so Jerry, I mean, there's certain things as Jerry laid out that only he can do and he only should be doing. And it's not as if there's somebody else in the organization that's going to be able to say, hey, I'm going to go negotiate this lease, you know, in, in, in Jerry's stead. But certainly they can run the unit themselves since Jerry could too, but Jerry's got to rely on them to do that. So I, I think that's, that's where it starts is what, what are the things that I, that I should be doing and only I should do that have the greatest impact on the business and delegate everything else? Absolutely. And, and, it's, and it's being intentional, you know, not, not just thinking about it ahead of time, but saying, okay, it's, a, it's an ongoing basis to keep yourself in check. Mm -hmm. And what are some things that you're doing to give, whether it's signals to people? You know, one example I always think about is, is the franchisee would almost keep showing up at the different, the different units all the time, the different places. And then they would start kind of questioning what people are doing. So they would, they would back off and then they would get back in it and then they back off and they get back in it. Even things like that, again, just making sure as a leader, what are you doing on a day-to-day -day basis to grow people, to make sure you're doing the right things, and, and just kind of thinking through those little things, because those little things also make a big difference. Well, and, and that's it. I mean, you just covered my, my very first mistakes, 100%, <laughs> did those for years. And then I spent the last, you know, five, I'd say almost 10 years focus solely on developing the soft skills of our managers and leaders because once they developed those then they, they they didn't need me to run their restaurant their business right they knew how to do that so yes i could go in there and be critical and say hey well you know we gotta get better here but i finally made that switch as you just said and we just focused on developing their soft skills develop them as leaders and then that trickled down through the rest of the organization but i had to make that transition i think it's a common thing common transition it's hard to let go of something you it built is. and put your, it's your put baby your name. yeah it's your yeah, baby it's your baby so and i like it it's hire train trust and i love that That's awesome. the hire piece hard but it's okay you can do that the training yes it's that trust piece and it's getting that mutual trust that's the one that that that's a real game changer can be a real changer for growth absolutely totally agree Sounds good. good we stuff. continue this conversation all the time, right? Because there's all, so many things yeah. to learn. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I think it's great. So, thank uh, you. Thanks to David and Karen. A great information. We now have Laura List of Fran Law, who is our franchise legal expert. Laura, we are going to uh, play off the other segments with Jerry and with Karen um, with your legal advice. So what kind of implications are there for multi-franchise operations? Sure, that's a great question. Um, so one of the first things we like to think about is, you know, when somebody comes into a franchise system, if they're thinking about becoming a franchisee, you know, right now we're speaking with people who already have multiple units, right? But everybody starts somewhere. And they may or may not start with multiple units. Um, it's perfectly okay. And many, many of my clients start with one and then they either 
get the rights and build out to do another one. Um, or they may do something um, similar to what we heard at the very beginning of this show, where maybe they find an underperforming store, okay? Um, and someone else has already invested in a lot of the capital costs right? Um, and they find a way that they know that they have those good management and leadership skills, and so they find a way to acquire it. Um, a lot of clients that do that where they, you know, did the full investment to build out their first store, and now they kind of go in and they find ones similar to what Matt was describing earlier, um, and they will find ones that they can improve, right? Um, so that's a very, uh, very followable, very repeatable strategy. Um, and it, it does take a little bit more uh, legal work, you know, to be doing business purchases and transferring leases and taking things over. Um, you know, Matt got into what he was saying when he was 22, so you may feel like, you know, how hard could it be? Um, but you may not want to be sleeping at the store <laughs> like he was, right? Um, you may not want to quite be that 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 committed. That's a, that's other other level. Um, so, you know, if you didn't want to do that. A more traditional path um, is when you're thinking about doing a franchise uh, that a lot of franchisee candidates will pursue what's known as an area development agreement or an ADA for short. Okay, um, And this is a way within the franchise kind of legal infrastructure where it allows the franchisor and the franchisee to agree on a larger-ish area typically where over a number of years, you know, you can pick and, and it gets negotiated, okay? You know, you might be agreeing to do three stores, you might be agreeing to do five stores, 10 stores, whatever it is. And so the size of the area um, that will be protected for you where nobody else can, can come in and, and, you know, even think about putting a store in that area, right? You know, nobody else can come in and think about putting a store in Charlotte. Nobody else can think, think about coming in and putting a store in Chicago um, because you're at least harsh ports I can't even talk today <laughs> portions of the city are locked down under this protection of the area development agreement okay and those are really important if somebody is seriously thinking about okay yeah I know I want to do multiple outlets um, and if you know you're in a kind of hot market where there tends to be a lot of franchise expansion um, Doing an area development agreement can be a really good strategy. Uh, some of the main things that we negotiate when we look at those are obviously the, the amount of time per outlet, okay? Um, you know, when you have really experienced operators like Jerry or David, um, those are, they're able to, to do a store faster, right? There's gonna be some amount of time, yes, that they need as a minimum, but as a new franchisee where you've maybe only done one or definitely for your first one, it's going to take you more time. You don't have all the team infrastructure built in yet. So with that in mind, um, I usually like to, you know, advise my clients if they're having, if they have a concept that doesn't involve build out, or excuse me, it does involve build out, that they will probably need at least a year. Um, you know, we look at what the estimate is in the FDD for sure, but we look at that. Um, and that's usually a year or so per outlet. Um, because one of the big concerns that I have as their attorney and you know, from a business perspective is, okay, so if you had a year to do your first outlet, that's great. Um, sometimes the schedules that they like to put you on, if you don't know better, are very aggressive, okay? They might say, okay, you have a year to do your first outlet, and you say, great. 
And then you say, how much time do I have to do my second outlet? Um, and you might only have, you know, nine months or six months. Oops. Um, but by the way, you're also supposed to be spending all this time making sure that your first store, you know, your, your, your you know, second, third child, <laughs> essentially, um, in your life is successful, right? And it can feel like you're torn in too many directions. Um, depending on how busy you are, depending if this is something that you're doing on top of an existing career. Um, so managing all those commitments is really important when we look at how those development obligations to do multiple stores in the legal sense are structured, okay? Because the reality is, um, I've heard this said, I don't have a source for you, but I've heard it said at attorney conferences that 70% um, of development agreements, these agreements that chart out, you know, how many you have to do on what timetable, 70% of them are uh, basically, they're, they're past the deadline. Mm -hmm. Everybody's behind because franchisors like to set very aggressive deadlines. And then, you know, as long, they, and they say this, they're like, well, as long as, you know, you're, you're making progress, you know, we can tell you're trying, you know, we'll give you more time. And I like to believe that, but I, I also get brought in as the lawyer. And so part of me, you know, I, I have to caution my clients that, um, you know, you're agreeing to something that you really may not be able to fulfill. And they've told you they'll be nice. Yeah. And you hope they'll be nice. So if you are as an experienced franchise attorney and a less experienced potentially area developer, mm -hmm. is that a benefit to having someone like you guide them through this process? Because are you more familiar with the expectations and the reality than a less experienced area developer? Is that someone that you can, you or someone they can use as a resource to kind of gauge what the expectations should be, right? Absolutely, yeah, I appreciate you you saying it with that kind of clarity because um, a lot of my clients are area developers and a lot of them are newbie area developers. You know, they're signing a, a three pack or a five pack or whatever kind of cool marketing language is being used at that time. Um, but they don't really, you know, and they, they've been qualified, they can get the capital, they can do it financially, but they have never done it before. And just like anything where you've never done it before, um, if you're not speaking with someone else who is going to level with you, right. then maybe really, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so that's why you need a team of experts around you, right? So setting yourself up for success rather than setting yourself up for failure eliminates so many problems. Doesn't it? <laughs> it does though. I mean, you know, and, and going back to some of what our other speakers have talked about, if you're do, you know, considering doing a, a franchise system that has, most, you know, you want to do multiple outlets, you need to be looking for a system that has the kind of technology in place, like what Matt is describing or what others have described in terms of infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. um, you're not going to make it unless you have good infrastructure in place. And a lot of that is technology related nowadays. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, so we really need to see that when we're looking at the franchise system. Um, technology is always changing, so that doesn't mean that, you know, everything has to be perfect today, but you have to be, as a candidate, reviewing, you know, what, it, what kind of technology do they have and where are they expecting you to go as a franchisee? Right. Laura, great information. Um, if you have more questions for her, please reach out to anyone on the team at Pillars of Franchise and go to our website. You can fill out our form and we will reach out to you, um, especially if you're thinking about taking on this endeavor. Thank you so much, Laura, and we will see you next time. Thank you. All right. So far, so good um, on the technology side for us. Um, 
we want to thank uh, our guest for today. And then uh, announce next week we have Eric Meyer of um, Glow Franchising, which is Good Life Organic Nutrition. So, uh, Organic Kitchen, sorry. He is going to be our guest on next week, so be sure to turn in. Sure to tune in. Just tripping over my tongue today. Um, up next, we have David Kadanik. He is going to give us his update on the joint. David, what you got going on? All right. So uh, for those that have been following this journey since we started, I, I, I said a long time ago, be prepared. It's always going to cost more than you think it's going to cost, and it's going to take longer than you think it's going to take. So where we're at right now is what, what you're going to experience as a potential franchisee. Right now, there's a lot of frustration. We're, 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 we're delayed in getting our sign. We're delayed in getting some, some computer stuff. So we're delayed, delayed, delayed. And while it's frustrating, you have to recognize there's not much you can do about it. Is it frustrating because we're paying rent? Yes, that goes back to it's going to cost more than you expect it to cost. So the two things that I've been touching on really for the last eight months, and, and now it's coming to fruition, is just this. We used, Chris and I, and we've all used this word grit before. This is where grit comes in. It's yeah. easy to start to get so frustrated. Go, man, I made the wrong decision. This isn't worth it. No. You stick with it. You fight through it because you bought a business for the reason that the, the, it's still a good reason why you bought it. This is the test. I always tell everybody, this is the test. Are you going to stick with it? And then the working capital. Don't try to, you know, think that you're always going to be on the low, the lowest range of that um, range that they give you for startup costs. Plan on paying more. Prepare yourself. Give yourself the working capital to to, to put the bill when these unexpected occurrences happen. So that's where we're at. Are we frustrated? Yes. Um, can I handle it? Oh, yeah, I can handle a lot better than I did 28, 30 years ago well, because I've been through it. If this were your first time, where do you think your head would be versus where it really is now with your experience? Oh, it's, just, it's the same way it was the very first time. I was losing my mind. We ran out of money. We opened our business with no money in the bank. Yeah. The very first time 28 years ago we had no choice we ran out of money we were delayed so so far so i don't even i still to this day i don't know how we survived that but we did through grit and then so now i said okay no that's never happening again i'm always going to make sure i have working capital so those are the difficult things on the plus side we've been talking a lot for the last months whatever about the hiring pool and how difficult it is to hire here's the here i'm going to give you kind of an ironic situation here one of the things we're still frustrated on and haven't done is we still need to hire a chiropractor. But that's kind of a specific need, right? That's a, that's, a, that's a specific person that you're looking for. And what we're having is we just can't find anyone within our area. We had no issues whatsoever hiring the other personnel we needed for the clinic. We found some fabulous people and we're excited to get started because they're going to be phenomenal. So, mm -hmm. I, I don't think the hiring situations that die, or at least in my experience, are we struggling to get that last chiropractor? Yes, but I think that is a, a location-driven thing more than anything else because we signed a letter of an intent on, an, on another location, another area, and we already have chiropractors asking if they could work there before, before we even started on the location. So I think that's just a specific thing. But if one of the reasons people are sitting on the fence is, oh, I heard the hiring and the job market's terrible. I haven't found that to be the case. We had a, a really a good pick of the litter, so to speak, and found some fabulous people. So we're excited about that, frustrated about things going on, but we'll get through it. 
So, and also with a chiropractor, I would imagine the timing issue is, is difficult with you don't know when you're going to open exactly or things keep getting pushed off. Doesn't that make it a little bit harder to get a commitment? So it's also circumstantial rather than a hiring. Yeah, you hit it. That, that's what hurt us on the very first one. We thought we had one hired several months ago, and and but she had a time up for move and everything else and kids in school and the whole bit, and we couldn't confirm that up. And then now the flip side of that is a lot of people we've spoken to just don't want to don't they're not in a position to move yet mm-hmm. and they would have to. So we ran a radius right now. We're a hundred mile radius around our location to try to find somebody. And you think about that, that's not an everyday commute. So no. they have to move. And then you have to plan for, okay, if I'm gonna move, then there's there's a time for, you know, a, a, a move time, a relocation time to have to take place. So, so that part's difficult. Is it going to happen? Yes. Is it happening in the time frame we want it to? No. And that's the word I have to let everyone that's listening know is it's not always going to be any time. Now, this is a unique business because of that, um, but there were still some other delays that we're dealing with. And, and you just have to manage that frustration and make sure you stick to it and have the working capital to get through it. Be prepared, right? <laughs> Be prepared. Absolutely. Oh, great. All right. Thank you, David. A good You're welcome. Update. I really like hearing what's going on, especially the second time around with the experience behind you to manage it a lot better. Um, yes, sir. That, yeah, that is our show. We want to thank our guest today for joining us, Matt Wampler of Clear Cogs. Uh, please be sure to like, comment, and share this episode. Thank you to Jerry Akers and David Kajanik, our million-dollar mentors, for their insight and wisdom. <laughs> Thanks to Fred Grumpy Grandpa McMurray, our producer. He edited the uh, the outro <laughs> as I was on here. I am Elizabeth Denham, um, and together, uh, along with Karen Kimsey Sword and Laura List, we are your resource for franchising success. This has been Pillars of Franchising, and the dream starts here. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.